There's uh, gross disparities in how the war on drugs was applied across our country. Now we're fighting against years of brainwashing. A 16-year-old lad apprehended in the act of staging a holdup. 16 years old and a marijuana addict. Meanwhile, war fighters in my community are killing themselves at a rate of 22 a day. All this stuff, it's, it's, it made me feel like a complete piece of shit. I didn't want to live, you know what I mean? So we need academia to embrace it. We need our politicians to embrace it. We need our physician community to embrace it so that the patients win at the end of the day. The Up Life is a production of the Unprescribed Nonprofit. This show is made possible by contributions from supporters just like you. Become a patron for as little as $3 a month to receive exclusive benefits and support a worthy cause. Visit patreon.com slash the unprescribed. Subscribe to our channel and follow us on social. We are the unprescribed. And now on with the show. Hello and welcome back to the Up Life podcast. I'm Steve Elmore, founder of the Unprescribed Nonprofit, and I'm here with my co-host Ava Otri. And Hello. today we are joined by cannabis activist Stephanie Shepard from The Last Prisoner Project, who was recently elected to their board of directors. Stephanie joined The Last Prisoner Project in 2020, one year after completing a 10-year sentence for cannabis. So she's been a vital role in that organization and bringing expertise and personal experience in her role as partnerships manager. And today we're looking forward to talking with her about her experience to inspire others to realize that you can overcome adversity. So with that, welcome, Stephanie. I'm glad you joined us. Thank you so much for having me, Steve. And uh, our mission is, is trying to bridge the gap between the civilian and, and, and military sectors to realize that trauma is trauma and it doesn't matter if you got PTSD on the battlefield or off. And when our veterans are faced with adversity after already being in combat, it just leads to other, you know, at least the suicidal ideations in, in many. And we're trying to overcome that. And we're trying to get guys off of medications that, that lead to suicidal ideations. And we're trying to inspire individuals that, that life is worth living no matter what's thrown at you. And so today I'd like to talk with you about your experience um, personally with cannabis and that time that you were incarcerated and how that affected you and the work you're doing with the Last Prisoner Project. And uh, I'm gonna leave the floor to Ava to answer any more questions that she has entailed. So I'll give the floor to you, thank you. Hello, hi, how are you Stephanie? Hi. Um, I know we already talked briefly uh, before, but I just wanna say it's a pleasure meeting you and it's just a privilege being in your presence. I know there are, we do or may have some new uh, people in the platform. So I would like for you to, you know, just briefly tell us who Stephanie is and what she does. Okay. Thank you so much for having me. My name is Stephanie Shepard and I work with The Last Prisoner Project. We're a nonprofit organization and we work on policy change, release, reentry, and ultimately expungement for those incarcerated for cannabis or who have been impacted for cannabis. Um, I started out as a constituent. Um, that's how I came to know Last Prisoner Project because in 2019, I was released from federal prison after serving my 10 year prison sentence. Um, I had received a first time nonviolent cannabis charge and received a 10-year mandatory minimum sentence. Um, 
at the time I was living in New York, I was selling real estate. Um, I was brought into this conspiracy charge and ultimately convicted for it. Um, after serving almost nine years of that, I came home and I realized the real work was about to start. I realized how other I felt, how different I felt um, with this new felony title, um, being out in the free world. And it wasn't easy. And on top of the 10 year sentence, I also have a five year probationary period, um, supervised release. So there's a whole nother set of obstacles um, in just navigating that, but just coming out and now you're dealing with your family, which you haven't really dealt with in, in the whole time you were incarcerated. Um, and you're a changed person. And I don't care if you change for the worse or for the better, but you will change. That experience will change you. So coming out and being on supervised release, I don't have that luxury of the medication of cannabis, of being able to consume cannabis. So whereas I could probably get um, prescribed a pharmaceutical drug, I cannot in this light of actually starting my life over, could not consume the one thing that would make that easier, would make that um, simpler for me to do. So on top of not having the medicine that would help me navigate. Now I am facing job discrimination for a felony, housing discrimination for a felony, and all of these things piled on top of, I'm just getting used to being in the world. Um, so getting out and getting to know Last Prisoner Project, they were just beginning and just getting started. And I actually went to a fundraiser they were having and I met the founders and I began working with them right away because I knew that in individual journeys, there's education, there's power in, in sharing these stories and sharing those journeys. So I've been working with them ever since. I've actually officially only worked with them for the past year. Um, but as a partnership manager and getting to work with different brands and different people in the industry and getting to spread the message of if you are a part of this industry, you do have, or you, it would be beneficial for sure in your own business and for the cannabis community, which has been impacted to give back and fight for their release. And it doesn't have to be with Last Prisoner Project, but it has to be with someone. You cannot be profiting off of this plant while there's a Kevin Allen sitting in a Louisiana state prison doing life for $20 worth of cannabis because it was his third strike. So I, I cultivate these relationships and it's, it's really been 
positive for me to see the industry open up and say, we understand, we get it. Not everyone, but enough people that we were allowed to help with the release of 67 prisoners. We were allowed to give back $1.5 million in direct funding to people and their families who have been negatively impacted. So it's not everyone and it doesn't have to be everyone, but obviously it helps. We have the same, for, yeah, we have the same- For everyone to be involved, yeah. Yeah, with, with the suicide rate of 22 a day, and people argue, oh, well, that number, it's only 17 or more, it's higher than that. And I, I don't care. My answer is one is too many. It's the same thing with incarceration. Yeah. One is too many. You know, oh, until yeah. we, we stop this. And, and you mentioned something, I'm going to, Ava's got some really good questions, but something you mentioned about um, coming back changed is very enlightening to me. I can't sympathize, I can't empathize with you because I've never been incarcerated, but um, I have been through a systematic machine of the military. And in the opening sequence of the film, Boone Cutler comes out and he says, he talks about um, people come back changed, especially from war, you know? And he made a good point of saying, my loved one came, came back a different, a different person. person, you know? And, and, and the sort of, it registered with me the same thing you're saying right now. And we can't get our lives back, right? but we can at least help others who have been down that to try to prevent them from going down that path or at least to get through it. Right. You, you definitely can't get the time back. No. But one thing that I, I realized um, while I was incarcerated, I read a bit, a book by an author named Shaka Senor, and it's called writing my wrongs. And he was a young man incarcerated reading that book really changed and he's now you know a big amongst other many other things a best-selling author of several books so it showed me that you can get your life back mm -hmm. good you can't get that time back but you can reclaim your life i got out when i was 50 years old um, my family, everyone averages about a hundred. So I'm right there. I'm like a newborn, you know, a newborn baby. But the, tr the problem comes in when the system creates roadblocks for people. And if you are not um, the type of person who handles road roadblocks well, some people do, some people don't. But mm -hmm. if you are not, it, it is a one-way ticket back to prison, which is a business. So they love a repeat customer. That's a good point. Yeah, I've been talking mm -hmm. with my neighbor here. I'm in Prince George's County, Maryland, and he was incarcerated, young man. And um, we were talking about that young man who died in prison waiting a trial, who was just caught in the system. He's, I think he was suicide and waiting around. It was like a month or more of just trying to get his trial. And it turned out he didn't even have, he wasn't even held accountable for it because it's a business. And he was talking about, <laughs> I mean, it's one thing that, okay, well, it's not a burden on the taxpayers, but now when you're making profit over people in there, now, now it's ridiculous. And how is it not? I don't see how it could not be a burden over taxpayers. I mean, each 
prisoner is forty to sixty thousand dollars average per prisoner. Mm-hmm. So, but the fact that they're they're cor- not corrupting the system, but the fact that it's getting uh, what's the word I'm looking for? It's just getting tainted by money. You know, I think that's the best thing to say. But I don't want to run the conversation here. Ava had some more you know, things she could cover with you. I'm going to pass the torch. I, if you want I, me to chime in time. Before we go on, though, let's take a short break. When we return, Ava will delve into the question of change and how we heal holistically. So stick around. And we're back. Yeah, I mean, I was listening and I guess I had a a question that literally popped into my head when you both talked about change, because again, like you said, you know, 22 a day and, you know, it's one too many, even in correlation to the people who are incarcerated for cannabis usage, being, while being incarcerated, of course, what definitely causes change is trauma. And I know you talk you know you may have gone through certain traumas in there so I being on probation at the moment and I know you're not allowed to use the one thing that could you know assist and you talked about you know being prescribed or you know medic medicine I guess western medicine um are there any holistic you know types of methods that you use i.e yoga um if that you've actually used to contain, or should I say, help the trauma? There are several different things. Um, Yoga is one of them. Um, We actually had yoga in prison. So yeah, it's, you know, sounds a little bougie, but um, that was something that helped. Um, And a lot of journaling a lot of getting those feelings out um, because you can't really share it with other people because they probably won't get it. Like if you're not there to experience it, you probably won't get it. So being able to write it down and work through it before trying to express it to other people was something that I found and still find to this day very very rewarding for me that's interesting so you, go ahead oh, oh no you, you can go ahead i'll, I'll go no, right i was just you. taking a notes of you know it's it's one thing to sit down and find time to pen and paper but that's when you got time to do something like that um but i literally just started getting my life together by actually writing things down and this is just an appointment guide but it's enough 
of a saving grace because when you hear yourself express things, just like when you're in high school and you had to take notes, it 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 triggers your body re- receives the information and listens to it. Like I can rattle off words and I'm just like talking mumbo jumbo before I get the point out. But when I sit there and write the words down, it it's therapeutic. It it helps clear your head because it helps your multiple functions of your brain, your eyes and hearing. And, and well, if you speak out loud, but I can understand that. And I can see that as, as a tool. And I, I hate writing things down, but when I do, it, it's actually effective. That's, that's a very good, that's really inspiring. I like to hear that. And I'm just hearing you talk in general. I, I hear a lot of passion in your voice and what you do. And it takes a lot to, to get up and say, hey, I'm, this is what I'm doing and I'm going to dedicate. Like you have, I don't want to use the word lost, but I guess in this situation, I guess you we will say, you know, calling this spade a spade, you have lost 10, nine, 10 years of your life in the system. It's easy for somebody to come back and say, hey, I need to work. I need to make money and save and do things that we're brought up to believe that we have to do. But you dedicated you're dedicating the rest of your life or you're dedicating the part of your life that you know after being released to helping and being an advocate I I just want to find out what drives that passion what what where does that passion come from the strength I just would like to get into it it's basically what you just said it's what I lost and what I lost was far too valuable to sit around and allow family after family after family to lose the exact same thing, especially in this today's climate of the industry and seeing the inner workings of it. it, It's the hypocrisy is too much to ignore. And losing my father, my father passed away while I was incarcerated. Um, Being able to go home and go to his funeral and having to leave directly after and fly back to jail is one of the things that I don't want anyone else to feel and have to do that. That was one of the hardest nights of of my incarceration and trust me there's a lot of hard nights there's holidays and there's birthdays and funerals and family problems and family celebrations you miss all of that so I guess my a large part of it comes from not wanting other people to experience it and doing everything in my power and within my voice to to help that not not happen to other people but also um I need to make good on this I I was incarcerated when my father passed away and I never had an opportunity to have that conversation with him about what my involvement was and about why and about what cannabis meant to me as a plant and as medicine. This was a conversation I wanted to have face to face. And so my father passed away 
thinking his daughter was a drug dealer. By this time, I was so intent on getting out. The only way I could get out was to take a drug program. So now something that I had fought the entire time, I'm so desperate to get home and see this man. I said, okay, I'll, I'll take the drug program, whatever is going to get me home early. So I took a nine month drug program. So not having that opportunity to, to make things right. I know if my father were here today, he would be proud. He would see what I'm doing. He would see why I'm doing it. He was born in 1919, for goodness sake. So my father had been through reefer madness and all of these things. And they didn't have the same relationship with cannabis that most people have today from like the 60s on. So it was already embedded in his mind. Like, oh my gosh, my daughter's involved in drugs. If he were here now, and he saw the beautiful dispensaries and he saw how much money is being made and the help it's giving people. If he were here now, he would say, okay, I get it. You didn't do anything wrong, but I didn't have that opportunity. So every advancement we make, every release, every grant we give to help someone, I know he sees it. So it pushes me and pushes me to do more. And so that that's kind of that. <laughs> I, I I felt that because I'm really close to my dad and you know, his him being proud of me is everything. So I definitely felt that. <laughs> I could feel Sorry. letting down. Yeah, I get it. And and, yeah. and the fact that you said about, you know, the, the reefer madness and 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 getting this tainted impression of, of you and, and like you said, not being able to share it today and realizing that we, this is all, this is all because of, of honestly, this is because of, of racism. You know, we, we made it illegal to go after in the seventies, you know, well, in the thirties, we did it to go after people of color, Hispanics mainly because of marijuana. And then we get into the 70s or, or actually the 60s into 1970 with, with the Vietnam War and the protests. And you have a lot of social, like the whole, um, you know, the, the, the revolution of social rights and everything. And they decided, well, a lot of people of color smoke cannabis and, and other things. Why don't we make it harder for them or use it as a way of, of shutting them up? And really that's what it's done. That's all the time we have for this episode. Stay tuned for part two as we discuss the criminal justice system, expungement, and share more inspirational examples of overcoming adversity with Stephanie Shepard. The Up Life is produced and directed by Steve Elmore. This show is made possible by the help of volunteers from the unprescribed nonprofit and supporters like you. The Up Life is part of the Alive Podcast Network. Live life unprescribed. Live the Up Life. The Unprescribed Inc. is a 501c3 charitable organization. You can make a tax-deductible contribution by visiting theunprescribed.org slash donate.html. Become a patron. Visit patreon.com slash theunprescribed. And follow us on social media at theunprescribed.